Thank you, Ruthann. Going along with what Ruthann sang, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 30 and 31. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I don't know how careful you follow your bulletin, but you'll notice that we do not always structure our service necessarily in the same way. We are having our sermon early in the service today, and that's by design in light of what I'm going to be speaking on and then responding to what I am speaking on. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that we can boast, not in ourselves, but in the Lord, Christ being our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And our response to you, Father, and to Christ, and all that we have in him is one of worship. For your glory, Father, for it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. When I mention the word Worship, what comes to your mind? When I mention the word worship, what comes to your mind? I'm looking for a response. Pardon? Praising God? God? Singing. Singing. Gathering together. Gathering together. Bill. Learning God's Word. It's not a trick question, by the way. Just, you know, thinking about what is worship? At a church meeting in February, I shared that we'll take a Sunday maybe every four to eight weeks to discuss, you know, one of the absolutes in Scripture if, you know, we as a body are going to be godly. And as the basics are in order, then we can worship and respond to the Lord. And foundation is very, very important. I've never been to the site of where they built a skyscraper. I've seen some homes built and some other buildings built. But understanding a skyscraper, it's a long time before you see anything above the ground. Because they're laying the foundation. The foundation is critical. Here I have some blocks to illustrate foundation. I need a volunteer uh, <clears throat> to use these blocks. Jacob, I think I saw your hand first. <clears throat> what I want Jacob to do is to take this stack of blocks that is a wall. I want you to take these blocks and build that wall in the water. Is it going to work? Okay, not going to work. Thank you. You may sit down. You can do what you want with those blocks on water, and you cannot build a wall because you don't have the foundation. This morning we want to briefly, and I say very briefly, touch on just what is worship. And I would pose a question, not looking for a response, but think about it as we interact with God's word. What is worship? 
Worship is foundational. What does worship imply? What is written all over worship in both the Old Testament and the New Testament? Just some questions you can ponder and consider as, again, we discuss worship. And what I share this morning, I may not always give a text for everything that I say. This has come from years of study on worship. I've not spoken a lot on worship. I've written a fair amount on worship just for my own benefit. If I ever preach on it, fine. If not, someone will throw it away after I pass away or say, oh, this might be good. I'll do some reading on it. But this is what I share this morning is springing from years of reading and study on worship. So just a brief summary. Worship in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for worship means to bow down. It is also used in the context of lie down, and it is used in the context of prostrating oneself. Now think about you're coming before someone and you kneel down. Worship. Or even, I'm not going to stay down there, (laughs) lie down. The Hebrew word basically means bow down, lie down, That's worship. The New Testament word, there are several words used in the New Testament. To bow oneself in adoration. To fall on the knees. You know, to do homage. To fall down. Another Greek word involves to stand in awe. Or reverence. I don't know if you've ever been in awe of some circumstance or person or situation. Just stand in awe. One of the times in my life that I don't think I stood in awe was when Danny and I were in Yellowstone. We hiked up this mountain. I think it was about three or four hours hours of hiking. You got to the top. There was a fire tower there, and we were able to go into the fire tower. You could just look the whole way around. You just could turn. Just worship is bowing down, standing in awe. Worship assumes that there is an object. There's a person, there's a thing that is involved in worship. We say praise, but we don't stop with praise. To just say praise is meaningless unless you have some object of praise. Worship also assumes a standard that someone says, this is the way it is. So let's go to Genesis chapter 4 for just a few minutes. And we know that God has created Adam and Eve. He has placed them in the garden. He told them not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They chose to eat, and we know that sin came into the world. We get to the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4. Scripture says in Genesis 4 and verse 1, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. 
She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. And we know that time is transpiring here because children are born. Uh, there's children beyond Cain and Abel, but these two are recorded. Now, Cain, or I'm sorry, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from, of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now notice, it clearly says at the end of verse 4, that Cain brought an offering to the Lord. Lord is in caps. Referring to Yahweh. Referring to Jehovah. We're referring to the one who is independent, self-existing, and continuous. So Cain brings his offering. Abel brings his offering. And the Lord who is the object of the worship, accepts Abel's offering, but not Cain's. So what happens? Cain was angry and his face is downcast. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Two brothers bringing offerings to the Lord. The object of worship was the Lord, the independent self-existing one. One accepted, the other not accepted. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. It's interesting that in the context of worship of the Lord, a murder takes place. And that seems to be not murder necessarily, but a lot of friction and conflict takes place around worship. But the Lord is the object of the offerings of Cain and Abel. Let's go over to Exodus chapter 20. When we go to Exodus chapter 20, we're dealing with a time period years later. Abraham came along, Jacob, or Isaac, and then Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, and we know the children of Israel ended up in Egypt. And after some 400 years, they're delivered from Egypt. And while in the desert, God gives them what we call the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 and verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, 
the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Don't make any other gods and then don't make for yourself an idol. Why? Verse 5, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14, in the context again of the Mosaic law, after the Israelites set up the golden calf and God dealt with them, he says, my name is jealous. Who is the object of worship? Jealous. That's the Lord's name. You find that jealous, as it relates to the Lord, is used solely in the context of the Lord and what he says about idols. He says, I'm a jealous God. I don't want you to have any idols. Jealousy is basically zeal for one's possessions. We see it in children. Children get to playing and one takes a toy from another and what happens? Oh, it's mine, it's mine. And you end up getting into a fight. How about a husband or a wife being jealous over their mate? They don't want their mate hanging around with another man or another woman. They want them for themselves. Think about jealousy in the context of the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. Hosea was told to go and select Gomer, who was a prostitute, as a wife. He took her as a wife. She got involved with some other men again, and the Lord said, Go pursue her. Bring her back to yourself. And one of the themes of Hosea is that I, as God, am jealous. I want you, Israel, as my Soul possession. I want you to worship me and only me. And in the context of worship in the Old Testament, we find that God is jealous. He wants all of our worship. Whether it be Israel or us today. And again, it's in the context of idols. He says, I don't want to share you with anyone else. That's why I don't want you to have idols. And that also is brought out very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God is communicating zeal for his possession. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I have redeemed you. I purchased you. I'm jealous of you. I'm jealous over you. And jealousy is not always a bad thing. It's a good thing. Years ago, there was a couple that I knew, and the wife ended up getting involved with another man. And Ruth Ann commented to me, she said, What is wrong with that man? I said, what do you mean, what's wrong with him? He doesn't care. 
He's not going after his wife and saying, come on, I want you. He's not upset that his wife is involved with another man. There was no jealousy. The one we worship is jealous. He wanted Israel for himself. Take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews has a number of themes. One of them is Christ is better than. He's better than Moses, Aaron, the prophets, and the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Another theme is the perseverance. Genuine faith perseveres. Hebrews 1, and let's read beginning with verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as to the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then you read in chapter 2, there's a warning to pay attention because of Christ and who he is. You find in chapter 3, Christ is greater than Moses. He's provided a rest for his people. And he goes on in chapters 9 and 10 that Christ has offered a sacrifice. The object of worship is the Lord who is jealous. The object of worship is Jesus Christ. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. In the context of Jesus Christ, you could read Rever- uh, Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 23. We looked at Hebrews 1, and then in Revelation 5, we won't turn there, but in Revelation 4 and 5, we find John seeing a scene in heaven. He sees a throne. And on the throne, we know the Lord is seated. And then in chapter 5, it talks about a lamb. The lamb who was the one who could take the seven-sealed book and could open it. The lamb being Christ. At the end of chapter 5, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. We think of worship, bowing down, lying down, kneeling before whom? The object of worship, the Lord, the independent self-existing one, the one who is jealous, Jesus Christ who one day in the future will be king of kings, revealed as king of kings and lord of lords. The Lord and Jesus Christ are passionate for their glory. They will not share it. And that's what they desire in terms of worship, whether it be in the Old Testament, 
whether it be in the New Testament. Worship also implies a standard. In the Old Testament, it's not clearly stated, but apparently Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices to God, their offerings to God, knowing that they were to do something. The standard is not clearly stated in Genesis 1, 2, or 3. But apparently God had communicated something to Adam. Adam must have communicated to his sons. And when God says to Cain about his sacrifice not being acceptable, you know, if you do what is right, Cain grasped that something was wrong. There had to be some type of standard. In Exodus chapter 20, we read some verses earlier. The first four commands are the standard for worship in how Israel was to respond to God. The last six of the Ten Commandments are standard in how Israel was to relate to one another. And it's interesting, as you read the Mosaic Law and the other laws involved with it in Leviticus, that much of worship in Leviticus involves how you treat people. In fact, in Leviticus, it talks about how you're to harvest your field. And when you harvest a field, don't go completely to the edge or to the corner. You know, leave some grain there for the sojourner and so on. Again, that's in the context of worship. Worship involved relationships. So I pose a question, and I'm not looking for an answer from you. But what does the Lord require? What does the Lord require in worship? In the Old Testament, he had some very thin or uh, very strong standards. As you turn to the New Testament, you find a standard in worship involves Christ. I read earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is very, very passionate in 1 Corinthians as he writes to a church that he's divided, some following Peter, Paul, Apollos, and then others say, well, we follow Christ. And Paul confronts them and says, it's all about Christ. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Very clearly brought out in Galatians and Hebrews also. As you read the New Testament, you'll find worship involves the body, the corporate. It's not something merely done individually. Worship can be individual, but very strong emphasis on the corporate in Acts 2 and Hebrews 10, 19 through 39. You'll find as you read various parts of the New Testament that Scripture and prayer is important in worship. I pose again a question, not looking for an answer, more just to think. What does the Lord require as it relates to worship? Worship begins with 
And worship of the Lord and of Christ begins with, that should be begins, not beans, begins with a humble, contrite heart, which desires their glory, which is expressed through obedience to their will. Worship of the Lord and of Christ begins with a humble, contrite heart, which desires their glory, which is expressed through obedience to their will. So when we come to worship, it's not, what do I want in worship? What does the Lord desire in worship? Two different perspectives. Worship is a response to the character of the being of the Lord and of Jesus Christ. It's a response. God created us as responders. Worship acceptable to the Lord and Christ involves desire, delight, not mere duty. Well, I'll worship you, Lord. Stands in contrast to, Lord, I desire to worship you in light of the fact that you are the independent self-existing one. You're jealous and so on. Worship is foundational. You can't build a wall on water. No foundation. Worship is foundational to our lives, to our local church. Worship must begin with, continue with, and end with a passion for God's glory. It's about God. Knowledge and understanding, experience of the Lord and Jesus Christ is essential. And I'm not talking merely head knowledge, but as we experience in him day by day, that is tied in with worship. Knowing the Lord and Jesus Christ's standard for worship is essential for their glory in worship. What does God desire in worship? What does he say? What did he say in the Old Testament? What does he say in the New Testament? Do we know his standard? I'm not saying we don't. I'm just posing that as a rhetorical question. Obedience is written all over passages related to worship. Obey. Obey. Most passages speaking in worship are corporate, not individual. Being faithful and being consistent. From my reading and observation of worship today, we are concerned with worship style and music style, but have little understanding of what the Lord Jesus or what the Lord and Jesus Christ desires. In worship. I've read books on worship, and occasionally I'll come across a book that begins with God, Christ, and Scripture, and then draws conclusions. Many of them begin with, Well, here's what we want in worship, here's what we like in worship, here's what we desire in worship. God doesn't do that. 
He says, I'm the object of worship. I set the standard. If worship is correct and in order, in life individually and corporately, it seems many other things fall into place. Warren Worsby, who pastored the Moody Memorial Church for a number of years, who was the director of Back to the Bible for a number of years and now retired, has stated quite often, if you worship well, the rest of life falls into place. And as you look at Scripture, Scripture emphasizes worship, individually, family, corporately, as being foundational. If that's in place, that doesn't mean life is going to be simple. It just means many other things seem to fall into place. Relationships are written all over worship in both the Old and the New Testament. Relationships. Relationship to the Lord and to Jesus Christ in relationship to one another, that is, in the nation of Israel and also in the body of Christ. Relationships are very important in worship. So I am unkind and cruel to my wife, but I'm going to worship. The Lord says, Dan, those two don't go together. You need to go to your wife before you come to me and correct it. I'm at odds with someone, or the Israelites were at odds with someone, the Lord would say, correct that before you come to me with your worship. Relationships are written all over worship. Because relationships among believers display our relationship with the Lord and with Jesus Christ. So go back to the three questions I posed earlier. What is worship? Bowing, falling down in heart and body. What does worship imply? There's an object, the Lord, the one who is jealous, Jesus Christ. And then a standard. And God says much about his standard. We're not going into all that this morning. What is written all over worship in both the Old and the New Testament? (coughs) Relationships. 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 Do we worship well? Do you worship well? I'm not trying to answer that. just wanted to challenge our thinking as it relates to worship. We're going to pray together in a few moments. And as we think about prayer, think about the Psalms. The Psalms are people responding to God, talking to God. And history would tell us that the Psalms many times were set to music and Israel would sing them in their worship. But initially it would have been the writers speaking to God. We find as we look at the book of Acts, You look at the epistles, prayer is important. Later on, we're going to read scripture. 
And as you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, it seems like Scripture isn't vital and important in worship. We're going to be giving, and the way we choose to give, we pass an offering plate around. Everyone doesn't do it that way. But it seems like giving is very critical in the context of worship. And then towards the end of our service, we're going to take some time to sing together. Again, responding to God in light of who he is as we sing. What does God require in worship? It seems like prayer, the ministry of God's word, scripture, giving in whatever form that may take in singing are, are vital in worship. And I realize different churches do things different ways in terms of maybe music, worship style, order of service, and so on. But that's not the primary issue. The issue is the Lord, who is jealous, and Jesus Christ, and living in light of his standard. I'm going to pray together, and as we pray, I will begin, followed by Scott, praying for WRGN. Let's pray together.